The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. What a show we got. What a show. Not one, not one, but two awesome guests joining us this week on the show. We're going to hear from Jamie Parganos, the executive director of Creative Muse out in New York City. She's doing some amazing stuff on the music side and education stuff. We're going to learn a lot from her. And then joining us in the second segment, we have Emen CR, an amazing uh, UK-based recording artist. She thrilled us on Britain's Got Talent, actually got the approval of Simon Cowell, which I didn't even think was possible. And we're going to learn a lot from her as well. Great, great group of guests this week. Excited to talk to them and excited to be hanging out with you because I'll be real with y'all. I missed you. I missed you guys so, so much. We did not get to have a show last week because Hurricane Ian decided to go right through Florida right on the Wednesday night when we record Break the Business. So first off, I'd like to say a big, big, big thank you to all of you who wrote and messaged me saying, I hope you got through the storm okay. I hope your house is fine. I hope Florida's doing all right. Thank you. Thank you so much for the well wishes there. And we are doing all right. A little less of a thank you to the trickling of messages that I got on the Thursday after the storm hit that said, South Florida barely got hit. You could have done your show, Ryan. Yeah, well, um, I have a two-month-old baby. I was very worried for them. And, you know, while a good chunk of Florida was getting hit by this really ferocious storm, I didn't really think it was appropriate to kind of do some silly podcast hijinks and everything. But we are back. We are uh, back on track again, back on schedule. And producer Lauren's back, too. Producer Lauren, how are you doing? I think I caught her right while she was trying to eat something. Did not expect me to come say hi to her. How are you? I'm doing great. It's nice to be in one piece. Yeah, it's really weird that there are cities like literally missing and gone. Yeah. Two hours from us. Yeah. Like that's it's such a close call. You know, you say, why? Why did you do a podcast? And you're like, do you know how quickly that thing can turn? Uh, and while South Florida largely was spared, there were some tornadoes not that far from us over in Broward County, and that storm. The airplanes, Oof. yeah, flip. Oh my gosh, you saw the the clips of the airport, the airplanes flipping around. Just oh my god, and this particular hurricane had a lot of wiggle to it. It was heading for the northern part of the state right until it decided it wasn't right, <laughs> and then went right through the west and. Our, our hearts are out to the folks in Sanibel and Fort Myers and Cape Coral. I, I you know I hope that they're all getting through. We're gonna uh, let's put this link up here for those of you who want to help folks out who are struggling during the storm. Want to help those cities that were just devastated by Hurricane Egan. Uh, please reach out to the Florida Disaster Fund. The link's right there. VolunteerFlorida.org/slash/donateFDF. That's VolunteerFlorida.org/slash/donateFDF. Uh, and let's try to get some support to these communities. And uh, before we bring in Jamie Parganos, I have to say this, and I, I apologize because I know nothing annoys the audience more on this show. When I get, when I even dabble in anything political, when I even, when I, you know, I, I, I did a, I did a thing about school shootings a few months ago, and and like some people were like, yeah, and other people were like, oh man, we don't need this on our music show. But I have to say this because I was just, I was livid. Mm-hmm. By the fact that there was a spending bill in Congress, 18, $19 billion for hurricane aid for folks that were devastated by Ian, $19 billion, and not a single Republican House member or senator voted for this hurricane funding. And I'm so pissed about it. And when you ask those folks, why, why didn't you vote for it? How could you possibly look at the devastation of uh you know Fort Myers and Sanibel 
and not vote for this. And obviously, none of them are going to say, well, I didn't want to give a political win to the other side. So they all say what, you know, oh, because there was other stuff in the spending bill. Oh, because they were trying to tuck all this other stuff into the spending bill. If it was just a clean spending bill for the hurricane without any pork in it, we would totally vote for it. And to them, I would say, have you looked at Sanibel? <laughs> have you looked at Fort Myers? What I don't even know what else was in those within that spending bill. I know there was some money for That's Ukraine or whatever. Like but, we shouldn't even be allowed to have other things like yeah, do each one individually but that's that's <laughs> politics like stuff gets tucked into stuff i can't like here's the thing all right yeah like it would be nice if it was just like up or down for for you know ian but other things have to get paid for in the government but i don't know lauren what would have had to have been in that spending bill that would have been so awful that i would go you know what i don't want sanibel and uh, you know, Fort Myers that are just completely leveled to not have funding. Honestly, ASAP if that, too. Like we're not talking. Yeah, these people like, are dying. Well, we can talk about it. Like, no, right. we don't have a house. This is an emergency. People don't have houses. Like if you told me that the spending bill had, it was $18 for hurricane relief and eight or $18 billion for hurricane relief and $18 billion that goes directly into Donald Trump's pocket. I'd be You'd like, still be like, yeah, do it. That sounds good. Like they could make the spending bill. All right, Congressman Ryan Carella, we got eighteen billion dollars oh, no. for the folks in Sanibel that you know their houses are being leveled, but we also have eighteen billion in this bill uh, that would hire an army of people to just constantly come to your house and throw eggs at it. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, you know, I really don't like the whole egg throwing part of this, but yeah, Sanibel, <laughs> Fort Myers, these people are suffering. So. Come on. This is like, I mean, look, I get, I, I'm not naive. I know I get that there's, you know, politics and political games and parties, but like this time, like just let's help the people. And I was. And so, so once so again, we it. can't rely on that. We have to rely on each other. And there are a lot of artists that were in that area and are in that area that not only lost the ability to make their income and lost their home and their gear and you know what that's like when there isn't a hurricane and they lost their venues they lost the places that do provide live music especially these these tourist communities like they rely on um the community and their places where people go to listen to bands play and to listen to musicians and that that's gone that culture and so i look at Yes, let's put money in and government spending and everything else, but let's look out for each other because we need to be a community for each other always, but especially when traumas happen. So reach out to anyone you know or venues in specific or people in specific because um, we have a big community of creators that really only have each other. So reach out, help, really try. An organization that I've always thought really highly of that does a lot of that in this space where they they find places that have or they find areas that where there's been some kind of disaster, whether geographically or in a particular community, and they'll try to specifically support the musicians or the creators that are being affected. Uh, Sweet Relief is yes. great with this. And, you know, they, they had a great fund that they made for creators during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm wondering if Sweet Relief has something for Hurricane Ian. We should check that out. But in the I meantime, look into that. Yeah, there's a donation link right now. Let's please uh, help these communities because they were like, you know, we we were largely spared from this storm in South Florida. But there were other folks, uh, other folks, other cities in this state that were not remotely as lucky. And I, I, you know, my heart bleeds for them. And I I hope that they can pick themselves back up uh, sooner uh, rather than later. But it's it's going to be a long road. Um, there is no way to transition to our guest, is there? That's I know. On a happier note, uh, coming from the other side of the country, that okay, if you want to talk about transition here, poor Ian went from Florida, where it devastated, to giving nothing but rain and ugly weather in New York this whole past weekend. So Jamie can hopefully attest to this. Our next guest is also in New York City, but uh she she didn't have to deal with the direct hit, but uh, Ian probably made her weekend less enjoyable as well. 
I well, I can assure you that I will be in, enjoying uh, chatting with her. Big fan of what she's doing in the music space and working with children. Let's go ahead and introduce her because like, I want I want to get this conversation going. She is the executive director of Creative Muse, a nonprofit organization that promotes creativity, music, and mindfulness for children and adults in underserved communities. Creative Muse also provides employment and mentorship opportunities to the artists who support the program and recently received a $1.7 million grant from Creatives Rebuild New York in support of that mission. You can find out more about her work by visiting creativemuse.org. We are thrilled to welcome Jamie Parganos on to Break the Business. Hello, Jamie. Hi, how are you? Doing so, so well. Thrilled to be chatting with you. I love the the folks that work in the nonprofit space who find ways to take the power of music and use it to make so many people's lives better. Excited to hear more about the work that you do. Can you get us started, Jamie, by telling us a bit about Creative Muse's mission? Sure, yeah. Um, well, I was actually a recording artist uh, most of my life. And um, like many artists, especially in New York, we often supplement our income with teaching um, for like after school programs and mm -hmm. things like that. Over time, I really started to enjoy that work so much that it, you know, at some point I decided that that was my life's work um, and that that was, that was very important to me. Um, and at the same time, I still didn't want to give up my work as a recording artist. So I started to think about like artists that do this work and how they're often freelancers or working part time. And um, I wanted to create um, a space where artists were valued more in these positions. So I sort of had this like idea that I thought was a fantasy that artists could be paid full time to do this work. And then this amazing grant came out um, and I couldn't, not apply for it because it was literally my dream come true manifested into a grant that somebody else must have had the same idea and was willing to give money for it so um yeah that that's part of it um and then the other side of it of course is the actual classes that we're running and and the mission of uh bringing creativity and the creative process to everything um, not only to art, but to anything and how creativity could be applied to different fields. Uh, and also how the creative process and like mindfulness could be applied to our own lives um, and how we use it to better ourselves. How we're always a work in progress ourselves too, not just our art. And so all of that existential stuff gets tied into how we approach, you know, our, our arts education. That was a lot. I hope you got all that. It was a lot and I love it. I love the, how the mission of your nonprofit aims not just to restore and empower communities and children through art, but also to restore and empower the creative professionals that work with the organization. I, as a nonprofit lawyer, I often find that there's this kind of toxic expectation in a lot of nonprofits for the folks who work in these organizations to kind of just sacrifice themselves and drain every bit of themselves financially, uh, health-wise and spiritually in the service of a nonprofit mission so that all the people involved are burned out. And there's no not and so not only are the folks involved with the nonprofit not going to sustain themselves, but the organization can't sustain itself. But your organization, Creative Muse, from the beginning was purposeful about centering the artists who work with the organization, making sure these people are supported so that they can then in turn support the people that the organization's trying to help. And uh, was that always kind of the focus of the organization from the beginning, or did it just sort of evolve that way? First of all, that was very astute and on point. So thank you very much, Ryan. And you really get it. Um, I, I think it evolved over time. Initially, when we first started in 2017, it was a side project that I was doing with a couple of other artists in New York City. I was throwing parties um, every week uh, at like Hotel Chantel and all these places in New York City. And... Um, we sort of had this idea of creating a mentorship program for artists. So like helping them with their business skills and, 
you know, just other life skills that they need to survive. And um, at the same time, I was also running all these after school programs. So I was like, let's meld this together. And so it's like a perfect marriage because we're still doing that. We're still providing, um, you know, that space for artists, the mentorship. Um, I hope to provide more in the future. But uh, with this money, we've also been able to onboard some artists that already are, you know, um, have a lot to offer to the other artists on our staff. Uh, you know, we have like Terrence, who's an amazing musician, who's played with like One Direction and Major Laser. He's a drummer. He's an incredible uh, DJ here in New York. Um, and so even he could provide mentorship uh, to the other artists you know, that are trying to be musicians um, on our staff. So it's a work in progress, but uh, we're really happy to be doing it. Um, and I think it'll continue to evolve, but it definitely has a purpose that's clear. Um, and it's, it's about centering um, the artists. It's about centering mindfulness and being aware of everyone who's in the space, not only the people we're serving, but the people who are providing the services. And yes, you're 100% correct, Ryan. Nobody's allowed to get burnt out. Love that. That's a, not an easy task, right? Yeah. Just they might get burnt out on like, their own, though. That, like that's like artists that, that's and burnout? Well, because, yeah, Lauren, when, when I think of, like, the communities I've worked with that have a very high uh, burnout risk, it's folks who work in nonprofits it's artists and, and we're and throwing them people, together in one on. place and, people and who educators work in education yeah. right you're gonna throw in the after school program part and you're like great let's also work with kids <laughs> that's it's my life work. by it's the way that's my world i'm with you i'm right there so yeah it's hard work and with some of the money i invested in this like program that we're going to start soon uh called pathways and it's like a mental health program for the artists and so it's going to be talking about like unpacking our own adverse childhood experiences being as artists what that means how this work is what toll it takes on you a lot of what you discussed ryan like this idea that you know you have to give yourself up but we're not for that you know um or that you can't be paid a lot because you work in nonprofit. when in actuality you should probably be paid more for uh doing that my son. Oh no, uh, no worries. As as a new dad myself, I uh, who who actually I can hear the little guy. Uh, <laughs> You're just from getting the other prepared room. for when he breaks in. Exactly. No, I, I think <laughs> at some point all of our sons will just be uh, uh, enjoying the show with us. Um, one one piece of this that I think is uh, particularly interesting for me that I. I want to think about is your journey from being a creative professional full-time to now working in the nonprofit space. And I know there are a lot of other creative professionals viewing and listening to this program right now who are encouraged by your path, who say, I got a nonprofit streak about me. I would love to find a way to take what I do in the arts and use it to enrich the world around me. So for those viewers and listeners who are inspired by your path, who might want to get into the nonprofit space, maybe start their own arts-focused nonprofit, what advice would you give them to get started? Um, yeah, so I think, first of all, you need to know what your mission and your vision is and what you're trying to set out to do and have a clear vision. Um, and uh, be relentless about the mission and the vision, first and foremost. People in nonprofit can tell when you're passionate um and they know when you're the real deal so if you have a, a mission that you really believe in um and you can communicate that to people i think uh they'll be more likely to give you money which is what you would do if you're trying to start a nonprofit is raise money uh so uh, my other advice would be to you know seek out funding opportunities um you're not going to get an opportunity unless you go for it. So for example, this grant even seemed like a long shot. Everybody in New York city applied for it. Almost every single organization. Um, but it, to me, it was kismet. It was, it was, you know, if I didn't apply for it, I wouldn't have gotten it. Right. So that's my first piece of advice. Go that, for the opportunities. Yeah. That's my question is, is, 
to tell the others, where do you find these things? Where do you look up grants? And how do you go about applying? Do you need to bring in team? Is it, what advice do you have on that front? Uh, well, they have like databases uh, where they release like uh, grants and uh, they have like databases where you, where they have foundations you can join and they'll show you things that people are looking for. So sorry. <laughs> it's not it was working so well. He usually goes to bed at eight. So I'm sorry about that. Not a problem. We have a standing rule on break the business that I would uh, actually love to do it. That generally applies to pets, where if yes. people have pets that jump into the camera or start barking, um, you know, we call it out and we love to even see them pop onto the screen. I think we can extend that rule to babies or kids too. Yeah, I think. I was wondering want if she Minecraft. wanted. <laughs> Do I? Absolutely. Minecraft is fantastic. It's true. <laughs> yeah. They're they're staging full shows on Minecraft now. I can't. It's true. <laughs> Minecraft and Roblox is kind of the future of our whole industry entertainment. That's where that's where all the uh, the new stuff is happening now. So I think your your kids actually on the forefront of the entertainment business. I was gonna say your biggest muse is gonna be your kids, and you now they not are. only have the ones you gave birth to, but apparently this entire community you're creating with the grant you got and things like that. So you you have a lot of children now to deal with. Yeah, and being a parent has made me better at my job. Uh, I think. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. I, I love where Creative Muse is so far. And obviously getting this grant is sort of a big, big win that I think is you know probably going to launch a whole new era for this organization. But I'm curious about the future. Like, where do you see this organization five years from now, 10 years from now? What, what are you ultimately aiming for? Um, I'm aiming to do more of these kind of uh, grants um, to raise money to do to to have this kind of model uh, elsewhere. What I liked about this particular uh, program that we're running right now that we got this grant for is that it's in a community. It's in a community center that's located within the housing projects that everyone lives in. So I'm really, you know, I've been running a lot of like school-based after-school programs, but in the past I have worked in community centers, and I really. Um, would love to see us doing more of that community-based work, um, expanding this model and putting it in other community centers, um, and even um, empowering more artists within those communities to be holding those positions, um, finding the, the brilliant artists within those communities and giving them this work to do. Um, so that, that's sort of what I'm looking to do next steps. Exciting. Or we, I, I should say. Love to see it. Um, let me ask you this question now before we give you the final one, because it's it's something that I love to ask nonprofits because they always have, you know, kind of incredible stories in this regard. A lot of running a nonprofit is sort of being in the overcoming obstacles business. It's uh, at least every nonprofit founder I've ever talked to always has that one moment where, oh man, the whole thing's just so close to falling apart. And and through grit, determination, and the, you know, a lot of help from others, or probably more than a little bit of luck, you pull themselves out from it. And those kind of stories are inspiring, whether you're running a nonprofit or you're an artist who's going through similar obstacles. So can you tell us a little bit about one time where you had a big obstacle like that and how you got through it? Um, sure. Uh there was a period during uh, the pandemic um, where, you know, it was really hard to um, engage kids online, right? Um, so we so we were trying to come up with a plan. And um, again, artists, theater teachers were just rocking Zoom. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, theater, right? So it's like a little tableau. And uh, it's your screen, you know? So um, I, I just found that, uh, you know, using like a theatrical model for any of our lessons on Zoom um, really worked. And we were able to sort of adapt with the times, you know? Um, uh, some people like decided not to run programs during that time or, you know, just took a break or, you know, didn't like make this shift 
but uh, we immediately dove right in and um, I think it helped us, you know, um, it, it helped us um, and it helped those children. And it also helped us spiritually to have that space with the kids. Uh, we had done like an a Instagram live performance uh, that they wrote themselves and, um, you know, just having that resilience to keep programs running, to keep stuff going, even if it was online and having it still be creative and brilliant. If you want, you could see it on our Instagram um, or on a, one of our channels. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. And I, I love what she mentioned there, Lauren, towards the middle of her answer, how it would have been so easy to do what a lot of organizations did during the pandemic, which is say, all right, this is a good time to t take a break. But I think what Jamie recognizes is like, no, 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 this isn't the time to take the break. This is the time when these kids need the arts and the diversion of arts programming more than ever. So we have to double down on pivoting our model to mm -hmm. this pandemic to make sure the kids are getting the support they need through an especially difficult time. Bless you, Jamie. And Great. an outlet. Yeah. Like there was nothing the kids needed more than an, a creative outlet. And they lost a lot of that. So... So good job and thank you. Yeah. Again, you can find out more about our guest work by visiting creativemuse.org. Jamie, before we let you go, one last question. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Um, so I'm going to say something Jeff Bezos tells people. I, I have issues with Jeff Bezos, but I love him too because he's got a lot of brilliant things. He he said, um, because to me, being a nonprofit founder is not unsimilar to being an entrepreneur. Um, it's just a different kind of thing you're selling and it's a different way you're getting the money. <laughs> but either way, it still comes with those ups and downs. And um, I say that if you are stubborn, only be stubborn about your mission and vision and flexible with everything else. And that's like what it. Jeff Bezos says, you know, you got to be adaptable, you have to be willing to make the changes like I was mentioning, the pandemic. And in nonprofit, you always have to be adjusting, you know, you always have to be trying to be in the cutting edge and adjusting to the environment and the funding or whatever it is. Um, but then also being steadfast in your vision and your mission and not, you know, that's the part you're going to be stubborn about. Jamie, we want to keep tabs on you. I have a feeling that at least annually, you're going to have some cool stuff going on that we're going to want to hear from you about. So please don't be a stranger. Come back again. We want to hear about the great stuff you're doing for the for the students of New York, uh, using arts to heal communities and empower artists at the same time. We definitely have similar missions in that regard. So we really appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for being on the show this week. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You got it. Now, Lauren, before we take a break, I want to let everybody know that uh, we are going to, when we come back, I want to hear from you on your own New York experience. Because speaking of Jamie Barganos in New York City, I know you were in New York recently doing some pretty cool stuff on the artist side. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to start with that. And then we're going to have uh, Imen CR, amazing UK-based recording artist joining us. So much fun to be had. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two minutes here on Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, 
script and music development and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. LEK Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. <laughs> there we go. We got the muting and unmuting right. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Um, you can check us out on all major podcast platforms and worth mentioning Sirius XM 145. Much love, much, much love. Mwah. Air kisses to Slam Radio for giving us a satellite radio home. Thrilled to be hanging out on that particular channel. Lauren, let's chat. Okay. Um, first of all, I, boy, we messed up that muting real bad uh, to just come out of the break. <laughs> it's all right. The commercial music was still playing. Nobody knew but us. That's right. Well, now the everybody radio knows audience wouldn't have known. That's had right. Not mentioned it. Um, I want to talk to you about your recent New York experience because you, producer Lauren, did some pretty cool stuff in New York this past weekend. I saw the flyers. I saw some. Uh, I heard from Dad some stuff that you're doing. I'm pretty <laughs> jealous of the cool music stuff you did in New York. Before we bring on our guest, can you tell us about this? So I um, I went to New York again for a charity event that's been running. Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Twenty. I want to say twenty-seven years now, but it might be twenty-eight. Um, a benefit concert called Rockers on Broadway. And this year's uh, theme was She Rocks, and we gave a Lifetime Achievement Award to Diane Warren, who is just an absolute pleasure. And one of those people that you truly feel appreciates the uh, people who appreciate her work, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, she just seems so willing to do anything that someone would ask of her because she's grateful to be giving to this community and i just i just loved her um but the event is called rockers on broadway and it benefits the path fund and the path fund is performing artists that help and it's an amazing organization that supported more artists than i can count through the pandemic um when a lot of other organizations ran out of money they had been pacing themselves and they had done a lot of things and they've given to so much anyway uh it's a, a so much fun we bring a bunch of people from the rock and roll community together with a bunch of people from the broadway community as well as developing artists that come from the um from the organization oh i can't even remember what it's called it's not broadway pound I'm failing them miserably right now, but they also do a lot of uh, <laughs> programs training the younger uh, generation to come up. And so they get to perform in these uh, benefit concerts with Tony Award winners and Grammy Award winners and uh, people from all over the place. So it's just a wonderful energy and event. And we haven't been in person in three years. So it was it was just so wonderful to be in a room with those creative people donating their time to uh, to support other people in this industry. And it's just, I love our community. I do. That's marvelous. And I, I love the, the mission of the Path Fund. That sounds incredible. I So I, we should encourage our viewers and listeners, if they want to support creators supporting others, uh, they should check out this organization. I assume it's something you can donate to. Yes, Absolutely. I will get that information out to our uh, our listeners and viewers. I'm terrible for not having it. I have all this info somewhere next to me. Well, I sure I sort of sprung this on you to be fair, I but have I just a think shaker. It's, Does that count? It it is exactly the same thing as financial donations. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's the Path Fund logo. No, that's and, the Rockers uh, on Broadway. Logo. So <laughs> you might have mentioned this, but what were you doing with this event? Like, because you weren't just a like, spectator, right? You were kind of helping. I was the make stage manager for this year's event. Um, yeah. I've been doing this show with them since 2011, 
And it really is a go team effort. Um, everybody shows up and just gets work done. So I do a lot of cat herding or artist wrangling, uh, you know, making sure people get on stage. And when you've got a charity event and there's a bunch of people who haven't seen each other in years, there's a lot of like hanging out and talking and wanting to see each other. So making sure like the next person is ready to go on stage when they have to be there <laughs> is a little different than, you know, a staged rehearsed show where everybody knows their cues. You're just kind of like, hey, how have you been doing? You're on next. Go. <laughs> So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot uh, of fun. I'm sure they gave you quite a workout, but what a cool opportunity for you and what a great thing you've done helping out uh, creative professionals and helping them help others. Love it, love it. All right, let's bring out our guest this week. Excited to talk to her. She is a UK-based singer-songwriter who was a semi-finalist on Series 14 of Britain's Got Talent and is currently signed to Icons and Giants. You can uh, Her latest uh, singles, Lonely People and Glitter and Gold, are available now, and her debut album is set for release in 2023. You can follow her at ImenCR on Instagram. We are happy to welcome ImenCR on to Break the Business. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you guys? Wonderful. I, I'm doing so wonderful. Lauren and I, before the show, were just talking about how when we hear you sing or when we see you in a video, it immediately makes us smile, right? You are just this <laughs> ray of sunshine. Any place you go, anything that you're doing. And did you feel it too, Lauren, the moment she popped onto our screen? We just both got happy. Oh, I get so happy. You, you do. You absolutely make me happy. You radiate joy. But I was also telling Ryan that I had not heard of you. I was not following Britain's um, Got Talent uh, um, regularly. But I went and I watched uh, your audition. And I will tell you, I was crying. Oh, my God. Oh. So and then you were crying. And then you were crying. And I was crying. <laughs> I cried for everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're definitely passionate about a lot of things. Like Absolutely. it comes through in your music and your performance, and it was just an absolute pleasure to watch you. So I got this excited when you came on because I was like, "Yay!" This oh. is so sweet. Like the best compliment someone can get, honestly. When it's like you haven't even spoken, and people already feel your energy. That is beautiful. <laughs> how can how can you not? I, I think you have that effect just generally on the world where. When people meet you for the first time, even if it's on the internet, the the admiration and just the the happiness flows through. And I think the best example of that is sort of the moment that kind of became your breakout moment where you sort of went viral for the first time. I want to take people to this moment and then have you elaborate on it a bit more. So I don't know if you know this story, Lauren, of how uh, Amen kind of got her start. She's a waitress at the UK restaurant chain nando's and one day she decides to take a break from work just takes out her cell phone and just starts singing a song into her mop and next thing you know because again the moment she appears on your screen you start to smile the video goes viral and you know then everything else kind of happens for her and i mean what a cool moment and can you take us to that what was what was that like for you when you were like oh my god my my little video of me singing into a mop on a tea break is now this like big crazy thing it's incredible because when you least expect it when you do something just oh let me just do this it kind of blows up and when you put like hours and hours into something it doesn't do as well as you want to uh but i was like you know i feel like i'm neglecting my social media because i'm always at work and i feel like i could take the both like and on my break film some videos um and that's literally what i did and i didn't expect much to come from it because generally that's what i do i always when i get to close toilets which i did today i just came from a 12-hour shift just today and i feel like every time i i use my mop and i'm singing and everything so why not film it and to always think that if anything that you do has a consequence and like if I didn't do it maybe I wasn't gonna be now where I am now like it's crazy it feels a bit like a movie uh sometimes I wonder if we're like in a simulation or something because it is crazy because I don't know it feels like a Cinderella story sometimes and I still work here because in Nando's it's it's the place that changed my life so 
<laughs> I didn't know you were still working there. I, I yeah. dig that. Like it's it's sort of where it all began. I know that uh, there's a great video of you that I saw where you got to connect with some really powerful record executives while you were working at Nando's. And that was another big break for your career. But I want to talk about Britain's Got Talent here because Lauren talked about this before. I've seen the clip as well. I think the world has seen the clips <laughs> of you appearing on this show in 2020. One thing about it that is most striking to me is how you got Simon Cowell in particular's praise. Now, Imen, here in the States, even though he's he's British, we know Simon Cowell well because <laughs> in America, we knew him as one of the first judges on American High Idol where we watched Simon Cowell terrorize and crush the spirit of artists literally for longer than you've been alive. He's been doing this, just destroying artists' happiness and joy and crushing their souls since before you were born. And this guy adored you, loved you, could not praise you more. What does it mean to get Simon Cowell's stamp of approval? It is absolutely insane because I remember, like if it was yesterday, telling my sister, because I used to, I was born in Italy and I lived in Italy. So the only way that I could see Brita's Got Talent was through YouTube. And I used to tell my sister, Hmm, I wonder if I was ever to go on that show, do you think he would see something special in me? What, what do you think he would say? And it was always about Simon Cowell. I was always obsessed with him, posting <laughs> pictures of him on, on Facebook and everything. And when I could not believe what he said, and to be fair, I, I'm someone that when I go on stage, I don't remember about anything that I did, anything that gets said until I rewatch it. But I did not forget what Simon said. I was like, I just got to watch it back because I just want to make sure that I heard what I heard. Because he said, this is one of the auditions I'm going to remember for a long time. I was like, excuse me, did he get softer after having a kid? Or like, is this, <laughs> is this happening? It was absolutely insane. It's still one of my favorite moments so far. And He toasted the yeah. you. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know if you noticed know, the way he was just like... I was like, did you just toast to her? I was like, yes. Incredible. Because I even felt like I didn't give my best because I was so nervous. And still, yeah, he did that. And actually, even behind stages and everything, talking to my team, trying to give me songs and support me after BGT, it was crazy. Insane. I mean, <laughs> this is the same Simon Cowell who 20 years ago was watching Kelly Clarkson and he was like, man, not for me. <laughs> just just all right little average and then but for you it's like oh my god she's amazing toast to her do you like to if, if simon cowell said about me what he said about you i would just record the little clip of him and just whenever i'm having a rough day i would just play it like when if you're ever having like just a really rough shift at nando's like just you have to play the clip of him just saying how great you are and then you'll instantly feel better and be able to do like another 10 hours what a great this is idea. amazing advice actually because everyone has down times and you know when a, a hate comment gets to you or anything you just need to go and see those moments and i think i'm actually gonna do that you know thank there you, you go. <laughs> can we can we borrow yours like when i'm having a bad day can i play your simon cowell message and just be like thank you <laughs> thanks Simon. absolutely i can send you personalized messages as well to cheer you up <laughs> ah, <that's awesome. laughs> i will say this though lauren i think a a kind message from Imen would probably do just as much for me as hearing yeah. one from Simon just because of how Stop happy it. she makes you. It would probably be more sincere. Yeah, oh that's I mean, like, yeah. his his was super sincere to you, but I feel like if I was playing it for me, it might not be as sincere. <laughs> <laughs> but I truly feel like you radiate so much care for people that you've never met. Yeah. Like it hit me before you went on stage. We're stealing your interview time. Uh, but it hit me before you went on stage when you were saying like, yes, it's about the judges, but it's about the people watching me. Oh yeah, yeah Like absolutely. I want, it's it's the 4,000 people in the audience. It's the, it's the, the one people I want to touch. And, stuff. Yeah. and then I watched you touch all of those people in an audience across a screen, across the world. And I was just like, it's, you you could send me an inspiring message and I would be like, oh my God, I'm inspired because I <laughs> because you have that power. You really can inspire people. And I just, you bring joy to me and you're sitting on the other side of the screen, on the other side of the world, and both I, of us I, are smiling. So I thank you so much. I've never been awake like this at 3 a.m. And I'm like so good because <laughs> I just realized it's 3 a.m. here. But oh my honestly, God, that's true. Like last month. 
<laughs> I was at I was at Edinburgh Fringe Festival last month, so I I was streaming the show at three o'clock in the morning every day, or every oh, week. Every but we day? did it, and I was like, "What? What? Every week?" And then I was like, "Oh, you're where I. That was not fun." <laughs> I am having fun though. <laughs> I, I should mention that I do want to thank you for coming on live. We have so much trouble getting UK folks on the show for this exact reason. We broadcast at 9 p.m. Eastern time in the U.S., which is just unacceptably early or late, <laughs> however you want to define it for the folks on the other side of the Atlantic. So thank you for making time for us in that it's regard. It's a pleasure. It, like, oh. I'm grateful to be here. Like, to be fair, like, anything that has to do with music, because it adds to me having to also work at Nando's, I'm like, well, there's people that would beg for these opportunities and to speak and get heard and stuff. So I'm just going to keep doing, keep grinding and, until I make it. And Nando's will only be like a past memory um a good one but i'll get to pursue this and i love these interviews because to me it feels like talking to friends um and uh, i don't know i just i, I love it <laughs> uh, well si too. since since you and i are friends now i'd like to ask you something a little more personal if you don't mind only because it is a part of you that as i was researching you i found really compelling and it's the very interesting and in a way complex role that your faith plays in your development as an artist. Uh, you, you are Muslim and I know you've spoken in the past about how your, you know, your, your heritage and your faith is woven into your music. It's very much a part of who you are as an artist, but I know it's also, you've also said that your faith is something that you've had to navigate uh, with mm -hmm. your family to make sure that it doesn't restrict your growth as a creator. And so I, I sort of see kind of two dimensions to the way that your faith affects your art. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I feel like when I was growing up, many things that I thought to be religion were cultural. So I felt like always conflicted about the passion that I had and what was uh, permissible and what, what wasn't. And then growing up also because like uh, my husband is a, a revert and I've had like to teach him many things. I've almost like found religion myself again like learning it by myself because when you're born into um, a family that's already Muslim you just go about what they follow but you don't really know the reasoning behind it so I feel like I grow so much recently trying to teach someone else and I found peace also because in Islam it's all about intentions and your intentions being pure especially when something isn't directly mentioned in, mentioned in the Quran as per music for example that if you're doing it with the good intentions and that means good lyrics being modest then I am on the right path. And regardless, everyone's going to sin because humans are meant to sin. We're not angels. But I feel like it gave me peace. And at the same time, I feel like I grew so much and I would never let anyone make me do something that goes against my religion just to make it in the industry, which I felt like back then when I used to think about the industry, I thought that I, I couldn't make it if I was wearing a headscarf. I couldn't make it if I was openly Muslim. And then, or like being like curvy, like many things that now are changing because the music scene is so diverse, thanks to people like Lizzo, for example. And like it's, it's changing uh, with TikTok, it's changing so, so much. And I feel like now is the time for me to like shine and have my place and represent people that are not represented enough. Because when I was growing up, I feel like I didn't see enough people that looked like me. And I'm not talking only about the headscarf. I'm saying like just people that were of Moroccan heritage or Arab speaking, like they speak, spoke Arab in their, in their homes or they had like a different skin tone. And I feel like I grew up, of course, I love Jesse J. I love Katy Perry and everything, but they don't, they do not look or sound like me. And I feel like representation really does matter. And I, that's what I want to, I want to do for the next generation. Um, and for all communities or minor communities, it doesn't have to be Muslim, doesn't have to be Moroccan. But I feel like I have to do something to expand it for them, for, for their future. And ultimately, it's folks like us who listen to music, who are the beneficiaries of that additional diversity being brought into the artistic community. Because it means we get an artist like you who, because of the different you know, and complex cultural heritage you have and 
and all the different kind of demographics you represent, you bring us your debut single, Lonely People, that you record. You were able to record in English, Italian, and Arabic. Yeah. <laughs> and give us uh, those different kind of experiences and have all that be brought to bear in combination with your faith and your experience. What a cool uh, way to do art that we all get to enjoy. So uh, we, we appreciate you. you staying true to yourself and who you are, whether it's nationality, heritage, or or religion, whatever it is. And uh, gosh, we, we, we benefit so much from it. Language, uh, I'm so glad so to hear that. Like, um, I'm all about like people willing to listen and learn or people like when they're curious about someone's uh, culture or someone's religion. And I'm just all, always up for that. Um, so it means a lot to hear that from you guys. And I actually even recorded Lonely People in French, but it hasn't been released yet. I'm not sure if it's going to be released, but I had, I did that as well. We were trying to do it in German as well. <laughs> like, this is a bit too much, but... And the Arabic one, funny enough, I don't speak the Arabic at all. I had to learn the, the song from beginning to end by heart because it's wow. Egyptian, Egyptian dialect. And as um, many Arabs will know, there's so many different dialects. And one of the, the least understandable by all the other like Arab-speaking countries is Moroccan dialect called Darija, uh, which is similar to Algerian, but all the Arab countries don't understand it. So if I wanted to get to the Arab community, I had to do it in a different dialect. So that was challenging. <laughs> that is incredible. Also, I really want to hear Lonely People in French. I love <laughs> this song and just, I mean, every song in French sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can just... You know, it's like, oh, you know, Le Vion Rose in English. Oh, that's nice. Le Vion Rose in French. Oh, my God. And so <laughs> I can just imagine. <laughs> yeah, I can just. Oh, good. Yeah, I can just imagine Lonely People in French sounds amazing. So if you ever you ever release that, please let me know. Just you know, shoot me a little Absolutely. message so that I can just like download it and stream it a billion times and <laughs> enjoy that immensely. Speaking of new music, I know you have an album that is set to release next year. Can you tell us anything about that? Where are we in the pipeline? Um, I feel like it's going to be released towards June uh, because of many things that are going on at the moment, but it is almost ready. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff that I've written, which is something that I never thought my first album would be. I never thought I'd be a songwriter. And I proved to myself that I can do that too. Um, there's going to be some songs that have a bit like of Arab influence to them, like a bit like my latest single, Nothing's Gonna Stop My Heart, that has like Arab instruments, but it's in English. Um, so I can like, you know, mix both um and there's gonna be some songs that are just really catchy almost like tiktok vibes and then like big ballads for you to cry your eyes out so it's a bit like a mix of what i can do um because i i don't want to take it too hard on myself and feeling like having to have this niche of an album that all like goes like oh just one story or one genre i feel like now with tiktok and everything you don't have to necessarily do that you can do multiple things that are different at the same time and then if later i want to do i don't know a more like studied like album i can do that um but yeah there's there's definitely a few songs that i listen to every day on that album like even if they were not mine i would listen to them <laughs> and so i'm really excited about that one tell us a little bit about icons and giants i know you signed with them and you're starting you you went with them to sort of continue your musical journey. I've heard a lot of good things about that group. Uh, what does it mean for you to get the opportunity to work with them? I would have never thought that I would say that I'm signed to a label that's in New York. Because to me, America was just so fine. I didn't even think I could reach there. Um, so it was amazing. And it felt a bit surreal because when I signed with them, it was over Zoom because of the pandemic. Uh, and then when I went there for the first time, I never thought my first time in America would be because of music. So it was really exciting. And uh, they are absolutely amazing. And I got to know their families and they are amazing people and so talented. And because of ADA Warner Music, I got to see the Warner offices and everything that I used to dream of like when I was little. Um, and honestly, I just never really knew much about music or like how independent labels do things or from even like just notes and stuff because I never studied music I never did singing lessons I was just like so far away from from this industry like I didn't know nothing and I'm learning so much all at the same time so this year honestly felt like I've been learning for five and I still have so much to learn like I remember <laughs> being on the call with Billy um, um, the head of the, of the label 
with Benton and being like, what does tempo mean? I don't understand. Like, I hear these clicks in my ear when I'm singing, but what does that mean? How does that keep me on time? I don't get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, you, you're like, you never had <laughs> lessons? You've never had formal singing lessons? No. I, I find that shocking to believe. <laughs> really? Because it's not just that you have a great voice, because you do, but it sounds polished. Like, it sounds like the kind of voice that you would hear, oh, that's clearly somebody who's been in a conservatory for a while. But no, like, it's just natural, like, your natural sunshine just allows you to <laughs> just I have this. very good ear. Like, I feel like I listen and try to repeat everything how I, how, how I hear it. That's how I learned English, because I've been in the UK for now five years, but when I first came, I was already kind of speaking like this, because I've learned it from just songs and singing from when I was in Italy. Um, and all the other languages that I've studied, like German or Spanish and French, I my teachers used to say that I'm pronouncing it very well because I tend to really recreate those sounds. And I feel like I just learned from just listening to other singers sing and trying to imitate the sounds. I still don't know how because people say, teach me. I'm like, I don't know how to tell you what to do. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no clue. Um, but yeah, I, I have had like a, a, a lesson or two uh, because of VGT, like they give you some lessons like before uh, the semifinals, and I found it absolutely like shocking and interesting, and all the breathing. I'm like, I never used to do that. Like, thank God now I know that, so I can save my vocal cords and stuff. <laughs> oh no, yeah, we want we want to keep that voice around for as long <laughs> as possible. I don't want to don't want to hear about you getting polyps or anything like that. We need to keep you and keep that voice going for as long as we can. Uh, so that we can enjoy your music forever and ever. Amen. This has been Aww. awesome getting to chat with you. We really appreciate you staying up so late for us. Uh, we got I'm one more awake. question for you <laughs> no before worries. we let you go to sleep, though. Uh, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? First of all, don't take it too hard on yourself because this industry can be very, very tough and overwhelming sometimes. Um I feel like one good step is having like an actual management that really you feel like cares about you because they're going to be the people that are going to, you know, have the experience and tell you, don't worry, this is normal. This happens to everyone, you know, take it easy and stuff. Um, don't let them change you just because they think something would be nicer. If you are not comfortable doing something, don't do it. Stay true to yourself. Um, and I know it sounds very like cliche or something, but like be kind. Not only because we all need kindness, but also because you never know who the person you're speaking to and what they're going to be beneficial for in your life later. Because this person knows this one and this one knows this one. And this industry networking is very important. And it's almost like making friends, but they're also going to be beneficial in your career as well. So as long as you're kind, you're not losing anything. I promise you that. And actually, the energy that you give to others comes back to you. Because I feel, yeah, I might have the talent and everything, but I feel like everything that I've given into my, to my customers or to my friends and family has basically come back to me into form of making my dreams come true of the thing that I wanted to do more at uh, the most. So, yeah. Well, we are definitely feeding off your energy over here. All right. Uh, and men, since we're all friends here now, you, me, Lauren, we're all, we're all good Absolutely. buddies. We, we've had this. <laughs> I, I, I need you to promise me something as a friend. All right. When you become a super duper uber megastar because it is inevitable please don't forget about the show that put you on satellite radio and gave you this interview like you know take Break our call business. please <laughs> take our call again so that we can chat with you and just continue to celebrate your success i have a very good memory so you're very lucky i have an amazing memory and i'm not gonna forget that i actually took a screenshot earlier when i was backstage like <laughs> <laughs> right i got on. this all luck don't you worry honestly <laughs> hey ryan we're yes. in the same memory as simon cowell now <laughs> that's right <laughs> she's like i'm never gonna forget him and within the same half hour she's like i'm never gonna forget you i was like that's right <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Love it. That's, Thank you I'll, so, I'll, so much. I will take that. All right. Thanks so much, you men. Oh, Thank man. you. So, that was a blast, huh, Lauren? Oh, my gosh. She's so wonderful, isn't she? Oh, my. I just, I can see how she was able to warm Simon Cowell's cold, <sighs> cold heart. I mean, yeah. like, I, I feel just 
so, so good after talking to her, just more positive about the world. Honestly, Lauren, she was exactly who I needed to hear from after everything that happened last week with the storm and how just rough things have been in Florida recently to have somebody like her come around. Who's such an amazing artist and for her to be as much of a ray of sunshine when you're just having a conversation with her as she is in her music, that's oh so gratifying. And she's so, I mean, yes, she's a ray of sunshine, but she's also like comforting, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I can both get energized and be like, ah, it's going to be okay. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> Our thanks to Jamie Parganos for joining us in the first segment. Our thanks to MNCR for joining us just now. My thanks to you, Lauren, for uh, keeping the show on the rails and uh, doing some fantastic producing. Uh, thanks to all of you, viewers and listeners, for joining us here on Break the Business. We will see you next week.